Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Hello and welcome back to Successful Minds. I'm your host, Patty Baranowski Schneider. Today I'm joined by Jody Graham of E equals MC3. Jody's a collaboration coach, taking people from conflicted to confident, providing tailored, inspired, and empowered programs, individual and group coaching, and training to evaluate your quality of life. So thank you for joining us, Jody. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. So I have been a certified coach since 2016. Uh, I got my certification at Royal Roads University and had an instant love affair with coaching. So I'm a CPA or a chartered professional accountant by trade, um, have been for, I hate dating myself, but nearly 30 years. Okay. And um, in, in 2016, I, I branched out into the world of coaching. And as I said, it was an instant love affair. Ooh. Nice. Um, I started my own company and started doing coaching on the side and really just really jumped into leadership coaching and, and focused predominantly with working with women to start. But I've branched out a lot since then because I recognize that having strong male leaders will help to champion female leaders as well. So it really does have a wraparound. Um, collaboration coaching, though, is a term that I've somewhat coined myself and that's partially because there's two types of coaching that I do uh one is leadership coaching and one is divorce coaching right and so when I started putting everything onto LinkedIn and you know getting everything set up I thought okay if I just put executive coaching which is where I'm certified that's not going to resonate with anybody going through divorce right if I put divorce coaching, that's not going to resonate at all with anybody that's in leadership. So I thought, right. okay, how am I going to articulate what I do that's going to could potentially resonate with both? Right. So I did a bit of a mind map and, and came up with the fact that, you know what, in both scenarios, it requires collaboration. It requires interest-based discussions right. in order to achieve the results that you want. And so I've started just referring to myself as a collaboration coach. Nice. And... You know, it's garnered some good conversation because people will be like, hmm, I've never heard of that before. What? Right, Tell it's me not a common and word. So, yeah, it gets some great conversation going. So, yeah, I've, I've really just fallen in love and I've really embraced kind of both sides of it. And as I'm sure we'll kind of get into later, they're, they're starting to collide okay. in my world where I'm starting to flush out some new work mm -hmm. um, based on what I've learned on the collaboration divorce side. Right. and how I can bring that into my leadership coaching. So nice. I like the fact that you're actually a certified coach because we have conversations all the time where it seems <clears throat> uh, post-COVID, everybody under the sun became some sort of coach. And yeah. like, we're that really certified. And, you know, just because you have experience in something doesn't technically make you a coach. So, you know, it, 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 that's always been like a common joke. So it's good when you see people actually certified coaches. <laughs> I actually have the certification hanging up right now. Uh, nice. <laughs> now, can you share your personal journey and how your experience has led you to develop your unique approach to collaborated divorce? So in 2013, I went through my own divorce. Um, I had been married for 19 years together for mm -hmm. 21. Um, 
And while there, you know, not everything in our life was bad, there were things that were not great. Mm -hmm. And it led me to finding the courage to have to say, I don't want to be married anymore. And so that, that process or in that journey, I recognized that there are ways that I could help people navigate through that process. It cost me about $4,000 to finalize our divorce. Mm -hmm. And it cost my ex-husband almost 12. Wow. And it was because with my background in finance, I was Mm -hmm. able to do a lot of my own financial analysis. I understood Mm -hmm. the division of property statements and all of that kind of stuff a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I was able to meet with my lawyer, go do what we need to do. And then I could do all the analysis on the side on my own. Whereas he needed to sit down with a lawyer and, and work through all of that. Right. And so he burned up a lot more time and hours with his lawyer than, than I did because he didn't know how to do all that financial analysis. Mm-hmm. So I help individuals mm-hmm. in divorce coaching to really get a better understanding of their numbers. Most of the clients I work with are women. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of times they leave the finances up to their husbands. Right. They don't necessarily have a whole level of confidence around you know, how to understand what the numbers are saying and what options do they have as part right. of the negotiation. And I really help them to get comfortable in being able to advocate for what they want and what they need out of the divorce by understanding and giving them the tools to help inform their decision-making. And nice. part of it is understanding what you can afford post-divorce based on what's being presented. Right. Because unfortunately, a lot of women are, are stuck in this or they feel like they're stuck in marriages. Right. Because they just don't understand what they can and cannot afford. Coming out yeah, I mean, that is important. Because, you know, most people wouldn't even think. I mean, I, <clears throat> to be honest, wouldn't have even thought that these were things that you'd have to look at. So it's great when you have somebody with the experience who can tell you these are things, you know, because so many people I know in the same situation, you know, they just follow the lawyer's lead. Well, the lawyer doesn't always have your best interest at heart either. You know, I know people, divorced couples who share the same lawyer. And it's like, oh, <laughs> it just, yeah. 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 So it just, it really just helps them to gain a level of, a level of confidence. And I, I was the one that chose to leave my marriage. And yet I was completely overwhelmed coming out of it. I was, I was ready and wanting to move on. Right. And yet I went from being a part of a partnership to now being solo. I had three kids. They were teenage kids at the time. Right. But when you're going from, you know, it was a partnership, even though it wasn't a functioning partnership. Right. Like somebody to share in, you know, cutting the grass, helping right. with laundry. Like you kind of, we shared all of that. And all of a sudden right. I'm responsible for everything. And I'm responsible for my finances. Right. And even as a finance person, because of the guilt of leaving, I found myself, I got further in debt following my divorce because I felt the need to overcompensate with my kids. I didn't want them to not be without anything that they had when we were together. So out of guilt, I bought all new everything so that they didn't feel. And the next thing you knew, I was like, I was so far in debt. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I had to get myself out. And I'm, you know, all I have for debt right now is my mortgage. Every credit card is paid off. I have a car payment. Like I have basic, basic life debt. But I have no credit card debt anymore. Nice. But I had to work my way out of that. And right. so part of the work that I do now is to help women not end up in that situation. Right. Yeah, good. So it, it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And then so that's that half of it. And then the other piece of it was, you know, through the leadership coaching and whatnot, 
some of the work that I'm, I'm really starting to get passionate about and I'm digging in deeper and deeper and deeper is on the harassment side. And that's because I experienced harassment in the workplace. What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that part. Which side? I experienced harassment in the workplace. Oh, uh, okay. So I ended up having to figure out how to navigate that. And what I learned in that process is the process of going through harassment is the trauma that you experience going through the process is actually in some cases and in my case more than the, than the trauma of the harassment itself. Yeah, I'm sure. So that has led me to start digging in and that's where my collaboration on the divorce side right. and the work that I'm doing on the leadership and harassment side are starting to collide because I can see similarities in how we can get to better resolution. Nice. So it's sparked a whole new passion. Right. Um, I'm a bit of a believer that things happen to you for a reason and I kind of feel like as much as I did not enjoy going through the harassment piece right. I think it was part of my my life lessons in my journey that right. I had to go that's a good way to have a positive outlook on it <laughs> now I guess what are some of the common financial challenges faced by individuals going through a divorce and how do you help them address their issues you know, I think part of the, the common piece is going from having a, either you're having a two income household mm -hmm. and now you're having to go to two one income, which just, it really changes the world. Right. Or in some cases where you've gone from having, you know, a couple with one income and now you're having to make that one income split between two, right. where spousal support and stuff comes into play because, you know, somebody's been a stay at home parent. And really just helping them to navigate and understand what can you afford with that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to be able to afford the $500,000 house that you had before. Mm -hmm. You might be able to, but probably not. You're going to mm -hmm. have to learn how to downsize and live a little bit of a simpler life. Mm -hmm. And in, in a lot of cases, it's just really helping them to figure out, okay, so what is life going to look like financially for you? What options do you have? And I, I know there's one client that I have that, you know, when I first started talking to her, she was dead set. She had to keep the house. She had to keep the matrimonial home. Right. And, you know, when I really started digging in and questioning why, why do you need to keep that home? Well, for her, it was because that was their her kids' home. And it was important for her, for her kids not to lose their home. Right. You get that a lot. Yeah. And I said, you know, for your kids, home is wherever you are. Right. It's not about the four walls and the right. room. It's about where you are. And so I showed her some alternatives as to, you know, cheaper alternatives of what she could go into. Right. Where that would give her some leverage in working with her husband around custody and child support and all of that. Because she wouldn't right. be health dependent. So she's still going through her divorce. It hasn't been settled yet. Um, but she now realizes that there's more options and that mm -hmm. the house isn't the be-all, end-all. And it's, it's helped take her from this stress level down to this nice and and that's really what i i aspire to do is just to help them understand yes it's going to be harder because mm -hmm. you're going from two incomes to one or from one to half right but it can be done you just have to make some changes and some shifts and it's understanding what that is right it's good too because <clears throat> it's a scary situation and like i said a lot of people wouldn't even know half of the things so having someone who's not only been there, but experienced in all of this, who can help guide them 
And I hear so many times that people don't want to, um, either one, they stay in a marriage that they don't, there's nothing there because they're, they can't, they don't think they can afford it. Um, and so many people, like you say, want the house, but because they don't know any other way. So really having somebody guide them and say, you know, and basically holding their hand and showing them that there is another way, you know, it's pretty important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now how do you um, help clients identify and articulate their needs and interests during the divorce negotiation process? Well, but when we're going through their finances, we go through, like when we go through the division of property, we literally go through line by line. Okay. And then once we've gone through each of the lines, then we start looking at, okay, what are the levers that you can use as part of your negotiation? So if you happen to own matrimonial property, it doesn't have to be 50-50. You could give a little bit more here so that you can get a little bit more over here. Right. And it's understanding what is within their best interest. And sometimes the best interest isn't always a financial gain. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's making sure that the kids' interests are taken care of and maybe foregoing a little bit of the the child support in order to ensure that the kids have greater stability. That might be more important. So we literally will go through each of the lines and say, okay, how could you use this line to negotiate mm -hmm. up or down, depending on what, what's your interest? Mm -hmm. And so I also give them the tools where I walk them through how to use the tools so that way, when they are actually in the negotiation, they mm -hmm. can be in the spreadsheet and working through it and feel like they have some control. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest part, honestly, going through is feeling confident in when a, when a proposal was put on the table, they have a level of confidence that, okay, I can, I can make it with that. And mm -hmm. they can make an informed decision and making them feel like they have a little bit more control and they're a little bit more in the driver's seat. Right gives them that extra level of confidence to know that they're making a decision that's going to be right for them. And okay right. for them. So it's, it's really about boosting their confidence and empowering them to be able right. to make a informed decision. Nice. I guess, can you provide some examples of effective communication strategies for co-parenting during and after the divorce process? You know, it, it's so dependent on who the individuals are, but I would say a biggest part of it is really keeping the kids in mind. Right. Let's set the egos aside. Honest to God, that is probably the worst part is, is right. the egos that get involved. Yeah. And things got, you know, fairly nasty between my ex and I going through that piece as far mm -hmm. as if he was angry at me and, and I get it. I totally yeah. get it. He said some pretty mean things, but really it comes down to putting the ego aside and saying, okay, what is within the best interest of the kids? What do they need in order to thrive? And, you know, some of it depends on how old the kids are. Right. Um, if they're if they're really little and they can't necessarily speak for themselves, you, you people just have to put their egos aside and say, okay, what is within the best interest of the kids? Right. And I was the one, I was the major breadwinner in our family, so I was the one that had to be child support. Um, and it, it's hard. You don't necessarily want to do that because it limits my financial freedom by having to pay but at the end of the day it's for the kids right. so many people forget that when it mm -hmm. comes to paying child support they're like i don't want to pay her exactly or i don't want to pay him right well it's not for them right it's not for me it's for the kids and it means the kids have a better quality of life at the other parents house 
And so I really just wish people would would kind of take a bit of a step back and recognize that, you know what, child support isn't about I'm not paying her or I'm not paying him. I'm providing for my children. You hear that a lot. What's yeah. most important, and I, I really just wish people would pump the damn ego mm-hmm. around control of that money. Right. Yeah. These fights get nasty, and people, it's it becomes an attack, and people forget. You know, like I know somebody who, you know, the ex just refuses to pay um, uh, the children's tuition, and you know his attitude is, "We'll keep going to court. Cost you more money. Deal with it." You know, so it's to the point where it, she can't keep affording the lawyer. So now she's just going to mm-hmm. suck it up and pay. And it's just kind of like, I know you you just want to get even with her, but you realize who's suffering in the end, you know, but it's the world we live in. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. So that's, yeah, I wish people would just learn to just park their ego at the door and right. realize that all you're doing is hurting your children. Right. Um. Okay, so now taking a step, I guess, from the divorce part. Now, what strategies do you um, use to help organizations navigate the harassment process with less trauma and lower turnover rates? Well, this is the area that it's really, I'm really starting to branch out to now. Um, okay. Right up till now, I've been doing a lot of just leadership, uh, one-on-one executive coaching. Okay. Um, but I'm really starting to dig into, and in the next probably month, month and a half, I'm going to be launching some focus groups where I'm going to be asking individuals that have either A, been the complainant in a harassment complaint, been the respondent in a harassment complaint, or been part of an organizational team that has to deal with harassment. And in those focus groups, I really want to dive into what was their experience in that process and what were some of the trauma triggers that they were dealing with Mm -hmm. so yes i've been doing a lot of leadership uh coaching and and harass i had to go through my own harassment process Mm -hmm. but where i'm wanting to go is i want to work with organizations to help them bring in trauma-informed practices into their harassment process Mm -hmm. because what i experienced was horrific and I was talking to a gal that I know that does trauma and grief training. And mm-hmm. I was kind of brainstorming with her a little bit. And she said, you know, I, I treat a lot of people that are going through the harassment process at work. Right. And she said, I can tell you that I don't know if there's any organizations that are doing trauma-informed harassment practices mm-hmm. because trauma that people experience going through that process is unbelievable. Right. It, I don't know any place that does that. Right. Yeah, there's there's simple changes that can be made that would reduce the trauma on the person going through it. So I'll give you a a perfect example of when I went through. So I filed my complaint at the end of October. Um, November, I already started having conversations about what going back to work would look like. Um, But I talked to them in November and said, you know what, can I just take the month of December? I just need to kind of decompress, process all of this, and then you know, January, let's have a conversation about what going back. And they said, yeah, no problem. Just before Christmas, like two or three days before Christmas, I get a letter because um, I had to go through the workman's compensation process. Mm-hmm. I get a letter from workman's compensation saying that my challenge is being, or my, my claim is being challenged. So my trauma trigger just like skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. I, the story I was telling myself was that they didn't believe me. 
They were trying to discredit me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was being written off by the organization. But come January, I was just being, so my, my stress levels were just escalating because mm-hmm. I had myself in such a spiral. So everything's closed down over Christmas. I can't get any answers. January comes along and I find out that that's just common practice. They do that with every mental health claim. Uh, part of the reason they do it is to make sure that, uh, that there aren't things happening in the home, things like domestic violence and, and things like that, that might be creating that trauma, um, which as a leader, okay, I get that. And, and in a way, I kind of feel like, okay, that's not a bad practice to make sure that because now I'm at home, I'm off work. If there's domestic violence, I might be at risk. Right. So I get that. Would have been great if somebody would have told me to expect that. Right, right. Right? So if somebody had said to me earlier on in the process, hey, just so you're aware, you will be getting a letter from WCB indicating that we are challenging. All that is, is that for every time there's a mental health claim, we go through and we do kind of these checks and balances to make sure that there's nothing more going on. It's nothing to do with you personally. It's just part of the process. Don't worry about it. I would have gotten the letter and thought, oh, okay, yeah, I was, I knew this was coming and it would have been done. That is trauma informed, right? They understand the triggers that might happen through their processes. A simple change, one piece of communication, and it would have made a huge difference in how. So I want to work through and, and really work because the cost of turnover because of harassment. I, I know I left the organization because I lost trust in the organization because of the processes. I've spoken to people that were respondents in the harassment. They too have left the organization because they lost trust in their organization because of the way it was handled. And yet the organizations are in a really awkward spot because until the investigation comes back, they don't know what side this mm-hmm. is all going to land on. And, and I'm in the process of developing a new process that I would like to bring out to organizations to help bring that collaboration to reduce turnover, to get people back to work, and to look at it from an interest-based perspective. So I'm really just kind of starting to dig into this, and I'm super excited about it. It's great. I mean, it'll be great for both sides, too, the people in it. You know, it, well, it's bad that it happened, but at least they have somebody who can guide them along the way. But even for companies, I mean... It's, you know, if that happens within your company, that doesn't look good on you regardless. So right. it's one teaching you what to look out for. And, you know, maybe even having like, you know, a lot of companies, they'll have training to newcomers or whatnot. And just maybe once a year, once semi-annually, just telling them what to be aware of, what to expect, like just in general, what's mm-hmm. not accepted practice, if anything like that were to happen. So now as a company, you're doing your due diligence by ensuring that you're on top of this stuff. So it should be a win-win for everybody, you know. Yeah. And if it does happen, and you know what, it's, it, I think we'd be naive to say we're going to completely eliminate harassment right. in the workplace. I would love that to be the future state. Right. Not sure it's ever going to happen. But at least if it does happen, you're dealing with it in a way that you are minimizing the trauma on the people that are going through it. Right. I recognize that not, not every complaint is valid. Right. But I also look at it is if it got to the point where somebody was filing a complaint, there was a breakdown in that relationship. Right. So sure. something was going wrong and mm-hmm. something needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And that's where 
working through it from a trauma-informed perspective and bringing in coaches and, and working through that, right. you can get people to a better place where maybe they don't need to leave the organization and you're not going to lose good employees because right. of it. And there's ways that you can heal without it having to be catastrophic to the organization. Right. There are going to be times where, you know what, it's appropriate. People are going to need to leave. People need yeah. to be let go or maybe you just need to leave and that's okay too. But at least you can do it and make sure that it's in a way that minimizes the harm right. to the individuals going through the process. Yeah. Well said. That's my goal. That's nice. my goal. Now, how does collaboration play a role in resolving conflicts with, within the workplace? Well, because collaboration comes down to finding a solution that works for both parties. Mm -hmm. And it's not about finding a win-win. You know, I, you don't have to lose in order for me to win. There are win-win yeah. alternatives that can be found. And, you know, when I look back at my situation, I can honestly say now, I, honest, I don't think that my harasser actually knew what he was doing in that regard. I don't think he understood the impact that he was having. Right. Um, I don't think he was intentionally, maliciously setting out to destroy me in any way. He was bitter about the position that I was in. He didn't have right. a say in, in me coming onto his team. And he was bitter about that and he took it out on me. But do I think he maliciously went out and said, I'm going to harass her? No, I don't think he did. Right. And so I think collaboration can be how do we come together find a solution that can work for all parties so that we can get to a better place and move forward. Right. And it's, it's the communication and the conversation and having the right. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the first thing they told me when I went to Royal Roads for coaching is mm -hmm. that the coaching industry is as big as it is because really people want to be seen, heard and understood. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like that's the same in this regard too is, when going through this process, whether it's the divorce process, the harassment right. process, and just general coaching, people right. want to be seen, heard, and understood. And if That's you can true. hold that space, right. think of the good we can do. True. Now, what are some of the most common challenges you've seen when it comes to resolving conflicts in the workplace? People's unwillingness to listen. Yeah. Um, you know, when I when I think about what I went through. I said in multiple occasions, my worry was, is I didn't know where I was going to land right. out of it. I was in a kind of a unique situation that I didn't, I didn't see a clear path to solution. And I said, I just need a plan. I don't, it doesn't have to be executed immediately. Right. I just need to know what the longer term plan is. And I kind of got brushed off and said, oh, don't worry about it. Like you'll, you'll be compensated. Don't worry about the money. I'm like, it's not about the money. I've worked really hard to get to the executive level. I would like to stay there, please. Mm -hmm. And I, I kept getting dismissed and don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I just wanted to be heard. I just mm -hmm. wanted to be understood of what was important. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to resolving conflict in the workplace, people do a little bit of this, la, 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 la. I don't mm -hmm. want to hear. And that creates an issue with being able to actually get to conflict resolution because people right. just stop listening and hearing each other. That's true though. Now, um, can you discuss your system for helping clients get organized and make the most of their time with their legal team? Oh, we're bouncing back to the divorce part now. <laughs> so 
Um, I actually have a system set up that I, I use Google and um, everything is kind of put together in one spot. And I have a series of kind of documents that I use that allow the individual to go in, you know, if they're sitting there on a Saturday night at nine o'clock thinking, oh, you know what, I need to remember. I've, I've got them set up in a way that they can go in, they can record everything that they need to talk to their lawyer about and everything mm-hmm. that they might talk to me about. Um, and they can just go in and log it. They can log it and um, reach out to me and say, hey, I've put a few questions in. And because it's a drive that we both have access to, I can quickly pop in and I can answer it in writing. I can, you know, I might, I can go in. They, I've gotten questions from some of my clients saying, hey, I have a meeting with my lawyer tomorrow. Can you go and have a look at all the questions I have down? Can you think of any others that I might need to ask? So I pop into their planning, their meeting mm-hmm. planning log. Okay. And it's like, oh, if you're going to ask this question, this might be a good follow-up if you don't happen to get that answer, the answer right. that you're looking for. So I, I were able to kind of collaborate right. in that that space so that they can then take it, get in with their lawyer, ask their questions, document their answers, and get out right. at you know as quickly as they can. And my model, as far as the way I do my pricing, is mm-hmm. I charge my client 50% of whatever their lawyer is Okay. So I look at it from a perspective of if somebody can afford a $300 an hour lawyer, they might be, they could probably afford to pay $150 for a coach to help them make the most of their time. If they're wealthy and they can afford a $600 an hour lawyer, well, they can afford to pay me $300 an hour to get that resolution. So mine is a sliding scale based on their affordability with their, with their lawyer. And I tell my clients like, don't spend four hours trying to figure out your finances with your lawyer because they're not financially minded. Right. They're legally minded and they are paid well for what they do. I can probably help you get through it faster and I can probably explain it to you better because I have 30 years of finance experience. Right. So don't waste your time. So I have a whole system that I work with to just really help them right. take it down to basic levels just because you're overwhelmed when you're going through a divorce. I don't care how prepared or how anxious you are to, to get out of the marriage. Right. Divorce is overwhelming. And you don't always think the clearest. So I That's try true. to keep it as basic as I can right. so that no matter what state they're in, whether they're at a heightened state of anxiety or they're doing fine, it's understandable. Right. Good. Now, what makes the collaborative divorce process different from traditional divorce methods, and why might someone choose this approach? So there's three kind of different ways that you can approach a divorce. Um, If it's uncontested, you could go through the mediation process where the two of you go to one lawyer, you kind of hash it out, that one lawyer drafts up the agreement, and then you each take that agreement to your respective lawyers. Make sure that your interests are being taken care of. And if there's no contesting, then you can just sign it off and be done. That is the ideal way. Um, The litigation way or through the court system is, you know, I have my lawyer, you have your lawyer. We duke it out in the, most, a lot of times they can still work it out in the, like in the boardroom kind of thing and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But if you meet, read it's a stalemate you can't get it then ultimately it can end up with the courts and a judge will decide what's going to happen 
My understanding from talking to my legal colleagues is that quite often, you know, the courts are a little bit more rigid. You know, there's the 50-50 rules and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's not necessarily interest-based. Right. It's more legal-based. And really, no one wins in litigation other than probably the lawyers um, in working through that because it's costly to go through the court system. Right. With collaboration, um, you actually, the lawyers actually have to be certified collaborative professionals. It okay. can't just be any lawyer. There's special training that they have to go through. There's special training that I had to go through in order to be considered a collaborative professional. Okay. Um, and, but they look at it more from an interest-based perspective. And so there's a little bit more give and take mm -hmm. on what some of the rules are it doesn't not everything has to be 50 50. Right. it looks at what's within the best interest of each party and make those so when i look at my divorce right my ex-husband was wanting spousal support because as i said i was the major breadwinner i was paying child support and he wanted spousal support and we did a lot of arguing back and forth and finally one day when we were in the room i said to him look Please help me. Like, what do you want? Right. What do you want? Why do you feel you need this amount of money from me? Like, right. please help me understand why. And he kind of just broke down and he said, because you're going to end up with a nice, a really nice house. And I'm going to end up living in some dumpy apartment somewhere. And the kids are never going to want to come see me. And I said, well, this all comes down to the house. And he's like, yeah, I, that, this is what it comes down to. Because I had already done a lot of the analysis, I knew that what he was asking for in spousal support was going to cost me a lot more than giving up the equity that we had in our home. Right. And so as soon as I heard that that's what it was coming down to, I said, then take the house. Mm -hmm. The house is yours. And he's, and he's like, oh, okay. And wow. so he dropped immediately. There was no more request for spousal support. Okay. I, I still continued to pay the child support. I left a 21-year relationship with some furniture, a few household items, my dignity. And, and I didn't have to pay the spousal support, which would have cost me a lot more mm -hmm. than walking away from that house. But I don't know if that would have been the outcome if we had gone to court. Right. Because if we had gone to court... I never would have heard him say that. That's true. I never, like, I've had people say to me, you're crazy. Why would you walk away? And I'm like, because it cost me less. Yeah. In and it, it, it saved us hours of time in the courts. Mm -hmm. And it was worth it in the long run. So I look at it as I gave up a little bit of my present to secure my future. That's and that true. was worth it for me. Right. That's smart. So, Collaboration gives you a little bit more flexibility in being able to negotiate. Um, child support is another way. Like when we were going through, like I live in Alberta, the Alberta tables are pretty set in stone as far as what they are. Okay. Typically when you go through the courts, they go by the tables. That's it. We were able to negotiate that. You know what? When I'm paying for two kids, I'm going to pay you $200 less than the tables. But when we're down to one kid, I'm going to pay you what the tables are. And he was okay with that because he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need that much. It's right. not that much of a difference having one kid versus two kids at home. Right. And so we just, we kind of came to a bit of an agreement that way. And, and that's where collaborative really 
because it looks at what's within the best interest of each party. It's right. not just about what does the law say you're entitled to. Mm -hmm. so I would highly encourage anybody to go through. And, and if you got a really good team, you can have a collaborative team where you have your lawyers, you have your divorce coach, you're, you're maybe a, a family professional, a financial professional, mm -hmm. but they're independent and they just give you advice based on what they're seeing. Right. They don't, they're not tied to any outcome. Right. They really are there to help you. Nice. Now you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how does your dual um, expertise in finance and coaching help clients achieve their goals and success successfully transition into their new normal after divorce? So where I find, and now I don't know for sure, I haven't looked at every single website around collaborative uh, divorce, but the ones that I have looked at, I am the only person on there that is both a certified coach and a financial professional. There yes. are there are coaches and right. there are professionals, certified or financial professionals. But from what I can see, I'm the only one that does both. Nice. And so I've had calls with my clients where they they send me an email and say, "Hey, I need to talk to you about the the financials and the." the uh, division of property statement and all that. I'm like, okay, no problem. So we set up a time and I get on the call with them and they're having a meltdown because, you know, the dad came to pick up the kids and the kids didn't want to go with him. And, right. you know, they're feeling bad because they had to force the kids to go. And they're just having that little bit of a meltdown and they're feeling like, you know, they're going to, they're ruining their kids. And, and I've spent the first half hour of that call life coaching them. Mm -hmm. And helping to bring them down and helping them to look at things from a different perspective and getting them to just, you know, okay, where are we at? What are we going to do? Sometimes we never get to the financials in that call because mm -hmm. they just now need time to go away and process. Other times we spend the first half hour, we do the life coaching piece, and then it's like, okay, let's take a breath. Now let's move into the financials. Mm -hmm. And then we get through their financials piece. If you're just dealing with a financial professional, they're not going to have the compassion skills that I have <laughs> right. to help them do the life piece of it. Right. And same with if you're dealing with the life person, they're not necessarily going to have the ability to talk about the financials piece. So right. I have a little bit of a unique skill set in the fact that I kind of meet them wherever they are. Right. And and that to me is, is really important. And I have had a few lawyers say to me like, well, you know, why... If that's all you're going to do, I can do that. And I'm like, really? Because I've had clients call me after leaving their lawyer's office saying, I don't understand a word that they just said to me. Can you help me explain it in layman's terms? Right. And I've walked them through it again. And so, right. you know, for any of the lawyers listening to this, recognize that sometimes you might think they understand and they're not. Right. And, you know, taking a bit more of a coach approach or bringing in someone like me that right. that can help to really bring it down into life mm -hmm. it can be it can help them get to a better place a lot faster right. i know i was going to say it's a unique thing because it is true you deal with whether it be lawyers you know find it like they do have that you know kind of persona where this is business this is what it is and they don't it's not that they mean to be that way they just they're not compassionate they're not understanding they're not you know giving it to you gently to it's just point blank this is what it is and you're kind of like traumatized at this point, like, oh my God, like what? And, you know, it's true. I mean, anything a lawyer, whether they say it or write it, half the time I'm Googling, I'm like, what? Like, what does that even mean? So having someone who could say, okay, take a deep breath. Let's just explain it a little better. 
lawyers don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and I think people are intimidated by lawyers, yeah. right? Like, and they just sometimes don't know what questions to ask to get the response that they need or, right. or they ask the question and they get a response. And when they don't understand it, they're intimidated to, to say, okay, I just don't, I don't get it. And I don't right. understand. And right. Those or are even, the- yeah. Or even like you say, it's, they're not maybe giving you various options on what, you know, like when you say, okay, maybe give a little bit here and take a little bit less there. They're not giving you those options because they, they well, want they- point blank. Here's what it is. They do do that more in the collaborative process. Um, I would say in the non-collaborative process, they're a little bit more black and white. Collaborative lawyers are trained to do that interest-based. Sometimes, though, I just don't think they do it in a way that's actually resonating because it's too legalese Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just not resonating. Or they don't understand it's like okay you're telling me this but i don't understand what the implication of that is going to be for me five years down the road right that's where when i come in i go through that with them and they'll say okay well yeah that's that that's aligns with what my lawyer said but what does that mean for me right like can i can i still afford to go out and buy my house after i'm done or am i going to have to go rent an apartment it's like okay well let's look at that right and it might be, well, you know what? You know how you were wanting to buy a house for $350,000? you are probably going to have to look at a condo for two hundred now. Are you okay with that? Right. Yeah, I'm actually okay with that. It's like, all right, well, then there you go. There's your right. answer. Nice. Whereas they don't necessarily get that. They don't get that five-year vision right. when they're working with their lawyers. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess, can you share any success stories or examples of how your protests positively impacted the lives of your clients? So I have, I guess, one of my favorite clients that I worked with. Um, her and I worked together for almost eighteen months, off and on. Um, it was a long haul, and you know, I, I resonated with her a lot because we had very similar situations with our spouses. Both of them were substance abuse users. Um, both of them were. I wouldn't say my ex-husband was narcissistic, but he had tendencies that were there. You know, occasionally, um, certainly verbal abuse was was alive and well in my marriage, as was in hers. So her and I kind of were kindred spirits in that way. Um, but when she first came to me and we started working together, she was just so incredibly overwhelmed with where everything was at, and she would ask and ask and ask questions, and I would, you know, just calmly and collectively work through it and whatnot. And when she finally got to the end. She was able to make and accept a settlement where she knew with confidence that it was the right decision for her and just called with so much excitement at the end to say it's done. And and I know that I got what I needed out of it. And I know that I'm going to be okay moving forward. And I would say that it was just so rewarding to see her level of confidence Mm -hmm. and to see her so freaking happy now that it's over like I saw many many times where she would just be so frustrated and so because he was still living in the home the whole time we were going through it and the substance abuse was up and down and it was it was causing this divorce to drag out further and further and to see her get to resolution Mm -hmm. and to be able to get there knowing that she got the best possible deal that she could and she was going to be totally fine coming out of it was phenomenal and I know that she walked away feeling confident that her finances were were going to be good. 
and okay. he was gonna, she was nice. going to be good to go. So, you know, just when just seeing that level of, of relief and, and happiness mm -hmm. moving forward and knowing that I was able to help in that in some small part is very rewarding. Nice. Now you're in Canada, but do you work with people only in Canada or pretty much everywhere in the U.S.? Uh, I do have a couple of clients that are down in the States. Um, it's a little bit more of a challenge because um, well, I'm not necessarily as familiar with with right. all of their laws. And, you know, I had one girl call me and ask me how to deal with her 401k. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, right. I yeah. don't know. But I'm also, I'm also very upfront with my clients. Like, yes, I'm, a, I'm an accountant, but I'm not a tax accountant. Tax right. accountants are a special breed all onto okay. their own. <laughs> And I'm not going to provide tax advice to somebody because I don't want to give them bad advice. Right. And so what I will do is if, if I believe that there is something that could have tax implications, I will do one of two things. I will either say to them, you need to contact a tax accountant and here's the question you need to ask them. Okay. And they can go off and do it in their own because I am all about empowering them to take control. Right. Or if they're really overwhelmed and are just not sure and, and whatever, I will I will say, okay, well, let's call them together and I will help and navigate that with them. But I'm not going to give them tax advice when I am not a tax accountant and I'm not even going to pretend to be a tax accountant. I do my own basic taxes and that's it. Right. And so I am very open and honest about what I can and cannot do for them as a financial professional. I don't do business evaluations. Right. If they are coming to me as part of a divorce and there is a business involved, you need to get a business valuation specialist to do that business valuation because that is not me. That is not my forte. And I am not going to do something that is going to put you potentially in financial risk because I didn't know what to do with that. And right. so I am very, very open and honest about where my limitations are. And I, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put them at risk. So, nice. yeah, it's just I, I make sure that I live with an integrity and only take on what I know I can do to benefit them. Right. And otherwise, I send them to the professionals that deal with it. Just right. like you sh your evaluation specialist shouldn't be life coaching them because right. they don't have the expertise. So, right. yeah. Nice. There's anything else you want to add about what you're working on, what you do, and any good stuff? Uh, you know, one of the things that now, depending, I guess, on when this airs, um, I also do retreats. So one of my passion oh, nice. projects. So I do the divorce coaching, I do the leadership stuff. But one of my passions is actually just getting out, having fun, and helping women to kind of level up their life. And nice. I have a retreat that I'm um, hosting in June. Nice. In Kananakis, so in the Canadian Rockies, okay. where uh, women can come together. We have 20 spots, 16 are already gone. We only have four left. Nice. But you can come together for, uh, you arrive on Monday night, you leave on Friday at noon. And in that time, you will have access to the Nordic Spa, where you can go in two nights. We're going to be, we're providing you with the hydrotherapy spa. Nice. Um, we're going to be doing some programming where we can help you move from feeling like you're just barely surviving to thriving. Nice. And you will walk away from that retreat feeling reinvigorated with a plan to actually help you to move forward and understanding where you're maybe getting stuck mm -hmm. so that you can live your best life. Um, nice. So that that's a passion that I do. I, 
I'm looking to start doing them on an annual basis. Okay. Uh, I just got back from a trip from Mexico and I've already decided my next retreats in Mexico. <laughs> um, I absolutely fell in love and I'm like, you know, I could totally <laughs> see my, uh, attend. I want to do a 10 day retreat in Mexico. <laughs> So we can do some program, but you can also have some great beach time. So yeah. I'm doing that one in June and anybody that's interested, if you just go to emp3.ca on okay. the events page, there's a sign up there for the retreat. Nice. So I've got four spots left right now for any women that are wanting to kind of level up in life and right. figure out how to go from surviving to thriving. So that's I partnered awesome. with another coach to do that. And oh mm-hmm. my God, I'm so excited about it. I just nice. can't wait. Can't That's wait. great. And yeah, and being with other, you know, people in similar situations and you just all vent to each other. I mean, you just yeah. break free. It's awesome. Wow. Yeah, my partner and I meet every Saturday morning to kind of do our, our planning <laughs> and kind of figure it out. And it's like, right. oh, I'm so excited. I want to. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, we're, we're, kind of, we're getting there. We're almost done with all of the final planning and all of that kind of stuff. We just, yeah, get those last four spots gone and nice. we are going to be rock and rolling with those gals and they're going to walk out of there with just Laser <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. awesome. Yeah. So tell people how they can get a hold of you. So my website, as I said, was is www.emc3.ca. Uh, you can book a call through that website. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I'm on there as emc3coaches, as is on Facebook. You can find me at the same handle. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm just Jody Graham. You can find me on there. Uh, those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. My email address is jody.emc3 at gmail.com. Um, so there's any of those ways and then direct messaging through any of those platforms um, I'm on. So, you know, I don't, I, social media is kind of one of those double-edged swords. You know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. I just first it and other times it's like, yeah, it's all good. Okay. So I kind of go in peaks and valleys on social media, <laughs> but, but I'm always there. I'm always there in some way, shape or form. Um, so yeah, if people want to get a hold of me for either divorce, leadership, if you're having issues with her harassment in your workplace, um, I would love to chat with you because I, I just, those are my areas of passion and I just know that I can help people get to a better place. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Again, that was Jody Graham of E equals MC3 coaching and consulting. So thanks for listening to Successful Minds with Patty B. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show. So thank you again. Thank you for listening to Successful Minds with your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.